Hey, welcome to Farming God, the podcast on a way to live in America's spiritual revolution. Sometimes I wonder if there are any listeners who found this show while looking for a podcast that's actually about farming. How surprised they'd be. Maybe it would be a big-time grain farmer living 30 minutes down a dirt road outside of Salina, Kansas. Or maybe it's a young organic hippie living in a yurt on the edge of Seattle. If for some miracle they didn't scroll past the show, I imagine the hippie's cynical remarks towards my religious language. Quite opposite, I picture the grain farmer's indignation towards my liberal theology. I fantasize farming God becoming their guilty pleasure, a show they dare not tell even their closest friends about, listening with headphones during solo tractor work while fixing an electric fence or feeding the pigs. If this person is out there, it's wonderful you're here. For the first time, Farming God is doing a show loosely related to farming. I had the privilege of speaking with Bryn Bonn and Shannon Preston in the historical hayloft of Greengate Farms. Bryn and Shannon are female priests. They don't shy away from big questions and instead approach them in a refreshingly practical way. It's conversations like this that nourish my creativity and gently remind me that there is still a way to live in America. To learn more about Farm Church, Greengate Farms, or the community living that Shannon references, go to this episode on farminggod.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs> okay, so funny. Okay. I'm at Greengate Farms with Bryn Bond and Shannon Preston, priests in Austin, Texas, who are doing some interesting things. One of those things we'll get to later, but for now, I kind of want to hear about what exactly you guys are up to. Um, I don't, I don't know what like a Protestant priest does. And so I'm interested in hearing about that and kind of how you got to, um, become priests, priestesses priests just priests <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay well you want to start Bryn? sure um well i've been part of the church my whole life grew up uh, episcopalian in salt lake city utah and uh, was always part of a church it was just you know a part of our regular family practice and whatnot but uh, once i was in college i started discerning a call sort of hearing that I might, you know, I just had this real feeling of being drawn to leadership in the church. And so um, it's a lengthy process in the Episcopal Church to to become a priest. And so I started that when I was toward the end of, of college. And, um, you know, it's sort of taken me to seminary and then from seminary to here in Austin. I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, on a lake, and went to a church there with a lady priest, and so had seen uh, a female priest since I was small. That was all I ever knew for most of like my beginning years. And then went to the College of St. Benedict, and was surrounded by these Benedictine nuns and monks, uh, who were to me just really beautiful people, or they radiated this light that they seemed to carry. and 
it seemed to me that there was something that they like something that they knew or something that they had uh, that seemed just so worthwhile and so I think that was kind of a turn that's like following God in some way is something that's worth giving my life to and then during college then also started to discern this call uh, and for me it developed into being a priest in the Episcopal Church which is what I grew up knowing uh, whether I was really kind of conscious of that or not um, and then went to seminary took a year and kind of traveled a little bit went to seminary uh, and then spent a year in a somewhat like a religious community for young adults sort of an experimental community and now I'm in Austin uh, from Minnesota at a church here Cool. So what is like, what is the daily uh, procedure or like weekly routine of being a of being a priest? Good question. It really changes from week to week. So it depends on what's going on in the life of the church and it depends on what's going on um, you know, outside in in whatever other kind of ministries that that you're involved in so there's a lot of preparation for Sunday morning which is you know kind of the big thing that people associate with with church but we also have a lot of um, caring for parishioners and um, you know tending to the business of the church and doing those kinds of things but then there's also a lot of time to just be able to you know get out of the church and meet people and you know see where God is working in our communities and in the people around us. And, um, you know, I, I try to be able to get out and do that as much as I can too. Um, so otherwise you can just get stuck in your office all day and certainly you could just tend to the, you know, business side of, of the church and, and whatnot and kind of miss the other ministry that is out there waiting so what what is the typical demographic like within each of your Episcopalian churches? I serve at a church uh, that now has two campuses, one in West Austin and one in uh, sort of East Travis Heights. And so the demographic largely is people who are, um, one church has a lot of young families and then older people. Uh, and then the other church is, um, has more young adults and then a few young families and then some older people uh, and then lots of children also are the primary demographics age-wise. Ours is similar. We're in a suburban area. The church is in a kind of suburban area. So we have families, a lot of families, a lot of older folks who raised their kids in the church, but the kids have gone off to college or moved away and so they attend. It's a it's a fairly homogenous group of people though. It, you know, they're from around the area. They're sort of, you know, um, upper middle class suburbanites. Yeah. Yeah. I there were some uh, students from a seminary in Austin who were at Greengate Farms a couple weeks ago, and I, I started asking them about basically I guess what this podcast is searching for is the places where the emerging generation is experiencing faith or spirituality or the ways that they're expressing and I start asking them about it and uh, what what they see uh, as the trend and how they're dealing with the trend that's happening 
um, which is, as far as everything I've seen, is that millennials are tending to veer away from organized Christianity uh, pretty fast. And their responses were pretty lackluster. It was more of like, well, we're still going to have a job once we get out of seminary um, because there's less people going to seminary because they know less people are attending church. I'm wondering if you guys, if that's just something that like, I mean, you guys are in like taking care of these daily tasks over and over and like you guys have tons of work to do. So is that something you're even like con- like worried about? I mean, it's a lot to ask for you to do that, but in, in essence, it is kind of the future of the church. It definitely is the future of the church. And it's something I spend a lot of my time thinking about and kind of wondering about. I mean, behind that, I have this really, you know, like solid foundational belief that God is working in people's lives and that the Holy Spirit is out and about in the world. And the fact that people aren't coming to the church is in no way a reflection of what God is actually doing in the world. So how can the church continue to serve God and serve those people while not I mean, I think there's been this idea that if you just offer church good enough that you'll get them to come. And I I think people are starting to realize that that's not the case, although I, people still argue about, you know, what, what they want to blame for the decline in church attendance or, you know, anything like that. Um, you know, I think, I think there are several things involved in it. I think... Um, I think church can be really boring, frankly. And there's so many things that that people have to give their attention to or that they want to give their attention to that, yeah, a little bit you're competing with things that are sort of more interesting, but not just more interesting in this sort of like stimulating way, like that people need to be entertained all the way, all the time, because I don't, I think that's unfair to, you know, like then accuse people of just not being able to have the patience for church or something. I don't think that's it. I think that you're not you're not making church or the gospel or the message relevant to people. You're not you're not I mean, we're not telling people who Jesus is and why you would want to follow Jesus and why you would want to get up early on a Sunday morning and go worship with a community of believers. And then the other thing related to that is Sunday morning is like the last time that people want to optionally get out of bed and do anything other than sit and read the paper with a cup of coffee or go meet their friends for brunch. So frankly, I think the timing is bad. (laughs) And I, you know, it just it just is that way. I mean, church just has been that way. But why? I mean, why does it have to be? Um, I think we could do better. And I think instead of like wagging our fingers at people and saying, well, if church was important enough to you, then you would get out of bed early on Sunday morning. I think instead of doing that, we could say, well, why don't we find a time that like actually works well for people? Or why don't we have different ways of worship that aren't only and always on Sunday morning? Because I mean, I have three kids and a husband, and we both work full-time, and our kids are involved in activities and things like that. Like, Sunday morning is really hard. So, you know, if my family could go to church 
on Wednesday night, that would be awesome. On the whole, I think uh, with friends that I have who now don't go to church and at one time did, and so I'd say sort of are disillusioned or kind of um, lost some sense of uh, meaning or charm that they found by going to church. Uh, in this community experience last year, uh, we spent a lot of time praying uh, and talking with each other uh, and more or less just spent a year, 10 months with the same 14 people uh, doing the same, like it was a monastic rhythm. Uh, and I think part of what I have found in that year was that something that's really lacking in our generation is commitment of any kind. And I think there's this sort of illusion that we and can go through our entire life and never commit to anything or anyone. Uh, and so in that, like I had traveled quite a bit uh, and been pleased sort of not to really settle down and not that it, in any way or like connect, which I think is an appeal of uh, finding God through the land is that in some way it connects you to something that is stable uh, and that you do in some way like need and uh, need to commit to and it needs to commit to us. And so I think understanding God as faithful and as deeply faithful, which is something that I think um, we can f we can find but yet for me somehow going to church uh helps me understand a god who is faithful to me and who i can be faithful to and so i find a real gift and sort of a continual showing up whether or not it's always like really deeply fulfilling and i have this like grand great encounter but just always by being there uh or being there as much as i can be to understand God in a new way that's different than sort of what I can get when I pick and choose uh, from sort of where I want to be this time or this week or like maybe this works, maybe something else is better actually, but by just committing to one community and from in my case it, the community is often a church and it is a church, um, by committing to that community and saying I'm going to find God in this community whether or not it sort of is in some big great way uh, that really fills me or is in like takes a little bit of work and like I've got to look at these people who are, on the whole I may or may not see God in right away and they may challenge me quite a bit but I'm going to say yes to them uh, and find God in these people or find God in this place that I have chosen to be in. I think it's kind of fun because it adds a little bit of a challenge to the to the spiritual pursuit rather than it just being like eh, you know I don't see God here so I'm not going to try it. Um, it's kind of like fighting a uphill battle because this young, at least the people I'm around, is this kind of individuality kind of thing. Like everything's kind of centered around us. Like they're going to pop into a little thing here, and then if, it do, if it's not there, if they're not feeling it, if that yoga teacher's not giving them what they want, they're gone. There's like kind of this mix of loyalty. So asking someone to commit to, is that what you, like the, the experience of actually putting work into a community of like kind of committing you're, you're asking for a commitment right yeah and I think there is a lot there's of course you want to find a place that fits so it's not just sort of a blind uh, commitment or a blind obedience but I think once you do find something that you you could find God in or that God calls you to be in to just say yes 
and stay there for a while. And there'll be a time when it like you may need to leave or whatever. It's not a good fit. But yeah, like to try something longer than uh, what is sort of gratifying right away or not. Mm -hmm. I get almost antsy like thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bryn, you're doing some something kind of unique and that I think is definitely um, something appealing to younger people is like moving, feeling something, moving around with their body, kind of sweating, building a fence, tearing down a house. It can be a little bit catchier than sitting for an hour every Sunday. You want to talk a little bit about Farm Church? Sure. So we've been doing Farm Church for about six or seven months now. And are, like I said to you earlier, we're just sort of in this experimental phase where we're trying out these different things and seeing what works. But it was all kind of, um, you know, born out of the idea that um, if we if we can help people to have an experience of an encounter with something bigger than themselves, then they've had a glimpse of the divine, that they've had something that, you know, that the church calls a spiritual experience, which, you know, at its foundation is just feeling connected with something bigger than yourself. So you have people come out and work on a farm, and it is, you know, the land is the biggest, bigger thing than ourselves that we can see, you know, and when we start to build those connections with the experiences that we have getting our hands dirty, literally, like in the dirt, or of, you know, building some new thing, or, you know, tearing something down that that needs to be redone, or pulling, you know, food out of the ground and, and eating it, then you start to see all of the ways that we are connected to this bigger thing, that we rely on this bigger thing. You know, so the church calls that God, and the church acknowledges in lots of our ways through worship and prayer and our practices that we that we are connected to God, this bigger thing, that we are reliant on God, this bigger thing. But we just sort of assume people will know what that is, you know, or that they'll just understand our metaphors and whatnot. And I think giving people the opportunity to experience that in this like really hands-on, you know, in the dirt kind of way is, it's, I mean, it's a really powerful encounter with that a personal encounter with that bigger thing a lot of the people i talk to have been burned by christianity in some way or another how do you respond to the uh, the person who says okay fine but this is just a you're just repackaging christianity in a new way is that is is that someone you're trying to reach it's kind of on the fringes of this Uh, of Christianity? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have a lot of people who come and check that out or, you know, check us out who have really been burned by Christianity. I mean, we have um, several regulars who, um, you know, grew up in the church and then came out as, as gay or lesbian and were outcast from the church. Like, it didn't matter what kind of faithful people they were. It didn't matter, you know, what was sort of in their heart just this one little fact about their life was enough to be, you know, like cast out or that they grew up knowing that they were gay and hearing in church over and over and over again, like what a sin it was. So 
I, you can't repackage that. I mean, we say you're welcome here, that God loves you. And the fact that you're gay only matters, you know, in, in your personal life and in as much as it, you know, is part of who you are. We want all of who you are because God loves all of who you are. So we definitely, you know, we have people who are kind of seeking, who are looking for something and they, they have that feeling of, you know, a, a spiritual desire, a longing for God. And maybe they remember a time where they felt that in a positive way and they'd like to have that again without the church, you know, telling them that they're wrong for something that they've done. So, um, yeah, I think that's a big, a big part of, of what we can do. But yeah, it's, it's not repackaging. I think it's telling people like, that's, that's not the truth. You know, what you heard was not true. I, I think it's a shame, like any religion, when you, when it gets kind of co-opted into the things that it tends to it it loses so much like what you said before like who is this kind of radical dude named jesus who was hanging out with this other guy named john the baptist eating like grasshoppers and honey and like dunking people in a river and just like wearing camel skin clothes it's like where where was where did that story ever come into my christian like upbringing Mm -hmm. like what why did they leave that one out why did it get tamed down into this kind of pious um white jesus with blushed red cheeks kind of being like just floating around galilee or whatever i i think that there's so much cool things about christianity that unfortunately have been kind of pulled out into these and kind of twisted in these ways that people who sometimes i approach with these ideas just shut off immediately Mm -hmm. i say my podcast is called farming god they're gone, checked out. Mm-hmm. They don't, can't even go there. So one of the co- other cool things, um, like obviously the connection to the land. The second one is this feminine spirituality. I've been reading a lot of Meister Eckhart mm-hmm. lately, and some of the things that come out of that, um, it's kind of like in America right now, like where have they gone? Shannon, I'm kind of going to put you on the spot, but I'm interested in, kind of your perspective as a female priest and leading spiritually as a female? I think they're all here. Uh, and I like Meister Eckhart a lot. And I read him, I haven't read him recently, but did at some point. Uh, and we would do this chant, I remember, and we would say, there is only God, there is nothing but God, there is only God, in this kind of sense that God is totally all around us and like intimately close to us at all times uh, in a beautiful and loving way Uh, and I guess as a woman priest and I haven't felt much resistance just due to how I grew up around female uh, religious leaders I find it really exciting uh, and find that there is like Jesus is just so to me so worth giving like giving my life to follow Uh, because there's something so compelling in the way he teaches and who he is uh, that embraces a kind of love that's just it's exciting to think to grow into it uh, and to recognize the feminine aspects of that in sort of um, traditional feminine feminine ways and sort of a nurturing and caring way but also then for me as a female to sort of understand in ways that sort of break that open also in sort of a very strong 
uh, almost fierce. Uh, we were talking on the way here about sort of anger and a righteous indignation sort of way and just like the continual learning of who Jesus is and how that teaches us to love. Um, so I find the feminine qualities of God and this sort of this quality of God that breaks through gender bounds to be really exciting and is I think pervasive and is the Holy Spirit moving uh, and is certainly has not stopped moving. I don't think the Holy Spirit sort of checked out at all. <laughs> That's good. It's, it's still here. It hasn't bailed on us. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it. What, what, like one last thing, and feel free the input just kind of throw up a curveball of anything that we've missed. But how, where where do you guys see Christianity going? How does Christianity play a role in creating a more compassionate, beloved community? as we just seem to be split further and further apart. I think we're going to have to do a better job as a church and as religious leaders of making disciples for Jesus and instead of trying to preserve the institutional church. And I think we've done so much, you know, in the last there was this, you know, if you look at sort of religious trends, there was this big boom after World War II where all of a sudden people went to church in droves. And so we look at what's happening now, it looks more like what happened before that. So the church's memory is a little bit inaccurate, you know, because what the church sees is we're in this decline, but looks actually more like a correction from what it was before, you know. Um, But in that big bubble time, in that, you know, rapid growth, I think the church really did a lot to, like, build buildings and to become an established institution and to be able to look like other, like, American institutions, I mean, in the United States, to, you know, and to try to sort of play the same game as those other institutions and I you know there may have been some benefits to that but I think there's also some loss to that you know the the early church you know the church that we learn about in acts and that we hear about you know, this apostolic church they had didn't have institutional power they weren't looking to preserve their institutional power then and so they were actually able to gather together to follow Jesus and to help people out, you know, living in community when you don't have any power, when you don't have that kind of, um, you know, credibility or anything like that is totally different. I mean, people don't need to do that. The church doesn't think it needs to do that. And so I think there's a kind of wake up call for the church to say, you know, that has not, that should never have been our gig our our job should always have been how do we love god and love our neighbor as ourselves and that's not by making sure that everybody you know pledges enough that we can pay the salaries of you know people like me and keep the lights on and have these beautiful buildings so and they're you know i i think the church too now gets really wrapped up in in preserving its power and I think that's I think that's dangerous and I think it's not gone well for us so far 
I think it's, it's important also for us every now and then to sort of step back uh, and recognize that like being in the United States or wherever um, we may be is not the only context. And so in most parts of the world, Christianity is growing uh, and followers of Christ are sort of being, um, being called uh, in ways that are different than they were at times of sort of post or colonization. And, but they're, I think, are authentic <laughs> believers uh, who are being lifted up all around the world. Uh, and that comes at a real cost. And so to recognize that Christianity isn't, uh, this is not the only context for God uh, and God in a religious fashion. Um, but I'd say here, I think it with, uh, in terms of where Christianity is going, I think there will be a time that we need to trust the God we believe in and like trust that the God of love is the one that is our God. Uh, and there are a lot of messages that say God is something else or there's some kind of judgment or God wouldn't accept us as we are, but to actually trust that God and have faith in that God. And uh, I believe that all of us as individuals can do a lot more when we have God in our life. Uh, and so any kind of change, I think that's going to be really pivotal and that needs to happen requires God and requires our um, being in relationship to a God that's going to move us in a direction that will kind of help us to love beyond any capacity that we have on our own. Uh, and so I find a lot of hope and faith <laughs> in God still, uh, the same kind of faith and hope that hopefully has been like, talked about in the Bible and before the Bible and always. Um, so I have, a, I have a lot of hope and excitement still for the church now. <laughs> Which is why I'm, I guess I'm glad to be a part of it and uh, I'm glad to invite anyone into the church who wants to give it another chance or give it a go uh, and hope that they'll find something too. The, the most uh, uh, kind of bright spot I think of this is that you both are kind of asking bigger questions and tying things into with, with tying in with things bigger than these narrow uh, arguments or narrow viewpoints that we so often tend to like get zeroed in on like this side versus this side this versus this church versus no church but really like pulling out and asking bigger questions and I think uh, everyone could learn something from that so thanks guys yeah thank yeah. you <laughs> learn more about Farm Church, Greengate Farms, or the community living that Shannon mentioned, check out this episode on farminggod.org. I may be taking a week off next week. I'm going to Wild Goose Festival and presenting, I think the title's Christians, Ketchup, and China, an identity trip, but I'm not sure. Hopefully I'll see you there. Stay updated, subscribe to the newsletter on farminggod.org, and you'll find out everything that's happening. Until next time.